Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you. The Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast. Bauer is, um, you're going to have to help us through. Bauer's a little down today. He's in mourning. Raquel Welch died. And, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, uh, I, not to lose our significant part of our audience. Oh, come but, on. Uh, Even young people know who Raquel Welch was. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not comparing this to when you, you, you know, you quote a 1432 <laughs> philosopher or whatever and expect everybody to know you're talking about. I was just going to make the comment that Raquel Welch, who was she was this, a looker. OK, she was in this movie about uh, uh, Cro-Magnum. Uh, men. I mean, it was the it was a movie about the you know back in the cave days, right? And on the movie poster, she uh, poses in in a loincloth and a and a and a top. I mean, it's it's actually showed less than you're likely to see. I was going to say on a, a typical trip to the beach in the United States, but I'll alter that to say. On the typical treat, uh, trip to the salad bar at you know, uh, you know, you know, to a local grocery store. Nonetheless, there were several million teenage boys. I was I was in Sunday school at the time, so but they told me about it later that there were several million uh, American teenage boys whose whole life was formed <laughs> by that poster, and then suddenly discovered. That, in fact, there are two genders and that she well represented one of them. I have a Raquel Welch story. I was in. I thought you were going to say you have a Raquel Welch poster. (laughs) No, no, no. I I have a. We went on a family vacation. This is I had to be. I don't know. Probably. I don't know. I was I think I was probably in ninth grade or 10th grade. We took a big family vacation to Hawaii and. We were staying, we rented this condo or something, I can't remember, but we were staying near where everyone assumed that Raquel Welch was staying. She stayed down on the beach or had some. So my buddy John Duke and I <laughs> were um, like peeping around her windows and um, we got busted by hotel security. Yeah. Well, that's 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 uh, the story. It, this is where people do not know this, but I'll tell them. This is where the phrase "peeping Tom" came from. And by the way, we saw nothing, but you know, and it was probably uh, well, that it clearly was not her room. It, it was. It was. I was going to say it was probably your uncle Buck that actually yeah, uh, had, uh, had, had, well, had. That would have that would have sent you into counseling if you had peeped it up. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's move from the serious to the absurd. Um, There was a study that came out a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember exactly when it was, um, that uh, 
from the CDC that reported record levels of teen depression, suicidal ideation. Three out of five teen girls reported chronic sadness, record high levels of suicide risk, and 30% of teen girls reported contemplating suicide. Now, what uh, we were told and we have been told for the past generation, and it's accelerating, that if we could only get everybody to focus on themselves, to think about themselves, to achieve their own personal authenticity. Follow your own heart. Right, where everybody listened to their own inner voice and followed their feelings, that this would create a near utopian society of bliss and delight. And uh, isolation is obviously a factor from, from the pandemic, not the pandemic, the reaction to the pandemic, but... There's something underneath all of this, isn't there, Gary? And that is this belief that there are no rules which everybody needs to follow. There's no expect, we put no expectation on our kids about how they're supposed to behave. There's no place for them to belong. There's no role for you in this life. Um, so you're on your own, which means you got to find happiness within yourself. But that's not the way to find happiness, is it? I mean, I think after a 3,000-year no. experience, happiness comes from commitment to others, a sense of belonging, obligation to other people, to your God, to your community. Um, and we're teaching our kids all the wrong things at the most vulnerable moments of their lives. And we wonder why one out of three teenage girls in the richest, most prosperous, healthiest country in the history of the world are thinking about killing themselves. Well, uh, we're actually one of the poorest countries in the history of the world, and I'll, I'll get back to that in a second. Um, y y as you know, Tom, uh, early on in America's uh, uh, public schools, uh, th there were copybooks uh, where – uh, children wrote uh, out things in order to learn how to write, but but you wanted them to write something, right? And people back in, in those days were smart enough to know this was a perfect opportunity to uh, have them copy truths, you know, which, of course, we believe today there is no such thing. There's your truth and my truth, uh, not truth. Uh, so at the top of the copy book, there would be a truth, and then the student would write it over and over again. Uh, Kipling wrote, I believe it was Kipling, an uh, in incredible poem, uh, The Gods of the Copybook Headings. Um, and he talks about what happens in civilizations when those truths are abandoned. Because the truths always come back. You can act like they don't exist, but the truths always come back. Um, when I said that we're one of the poorest nations in the world, we, we are... We are poor on matters, increasingly poor on matters of the heart and soul. Uh, if I was 15 years old and going through the things that 15-year-old boys and girls go through, and instead of being told at that time, when you got all these confusions and questions and so forth, that uh, you live in a wonderful country uh, that has you know, done heroic things for people all over the world, uh, instead, while you're going through all these things, you're being told you live in an evil country, a terrible country. Uh, it, it's been evil from the beginning, and you're part of it. And, and depending on the color of your skin, you either have no chance in this country, 
uh, or if you are a, a, a Caucasian child, a white child, uh, you are genetically an oppressor and you have to make up for it the rest of your life. You've got to do things to compensate for uh, the evil that is evident in your race. It, it, you know, when I was going in those years, Tom, I, I don't know everything about your, your uh, upbringing as uh, a, a young Jewish boy, uh, but I know that you take your faith seriously, and I'm sure your family did too. Um, you know, in those years, uh, I was going to the First Baptist Church of Newport, Kentucky, and uh, I had a pastor that was telling us all uh, that uh, God made us in his image, that we had dignity and value and worth, no matter what problem you were dealing with in Newport, Kentucky, back in the, you know, the 50s and 60s. And as you know, Tom, there were plenty of problems kids were dealing with in the 50s and 60s in Newport, Kentucky. The suicide rate was almost zero. There was less violence in this working class, tough, hard-bitten, organized, controlled town than there is in the typical American city today. So we tell them they're, that we not only don't tell them they're made in the image of God, we, we tell them very subtly that there isn't any God. We tell them that they're, they're, they're the product of you know, billions of years of slime reproducing and suddenly creating something that can send men to the moon. That whole thing makes no sense whatsoever. Um, we, we tell them that uh, life has no meaning. You're the product of mindless, uh, chemical reactions. What you call love is just what, you know, evolution has put inside of you. So you'll continue to reproduce. Um, you know, we we don't try to tell young women how to be young women. We don't try to tell young men how to be good young men. We tell them both that you're probably not a, a young woman and you're probably not a young man. You you may very well be one of the other 52 gender or gender. not at all. I mean, by non, what is it? Non-binary, right. non-binary, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, trapped in, uh, in, in your body. Uh, well, to me, Tom, it is it is a minor miracle that that all of them aren't created or, or aren't committing suicide. Uh, the, the drug addiction. I mean, every measurement of um, of good health for a nation's children. We we have jumped off a cliff and we haven't hit bottom yet. Um, one quick uh, sidebar, because I know there's many things you want to say about this. Uh, the head of a family policy council, it was either North Dakota or South Dakota. This is one of these conservative groups uh, that I, I uh, w- must say with some pride, I had something to do with forming, uh, working with Jim Dobson. There's, there's about 29 of them now, and uh, uh, they, they, they do really good things. But the head of one of those family policy councils said, that we're really in trouble as a nation. We need to get back to uh, doing everything we can to have households where mothers and fathers are raising children. Because by every study we have, you're not going to always have a perfect outcome, but you are much more likely to have the right outcomes if, if children have a mother and father, they both do specific things with a young girl and a young boy that the other one really can't do in most cases. 
So he says this, and a Democrat state legislator in the state immediately uh, tweeted out, I have never heard something so disgusting and un-American in my life. That a-hole should be forced to resign from his neo-Nazi group. Now, Tom, the whole country should be having a national conversation about how we can ensure that more children have fathers in the home. Instead, we're having an ongoing, endless conversation about same-sex marriage. This is the only thing politicians want to talk about. Barack Obama, I think, gave two speeches in eight years that touched on the question of the black community was not going to accomplish what they wanted unless men, black men, started being men. Two speeches in his entire presidency. He should have given 100 speeches. But how many times, you know, does every politician on the left now feel like they've got to go out there and not only promote same-sex marriage, which, by the way, is now already legal, but make everybody else bow at the altar of same-sex marriage, participate in same-sex marriage, have pride in same-sex marriage, encourage same-sex marriage. And how does same-sex marriage, by the way, fit in into a country whose elites now claim there are 52 genders? I mean, what about the other genders? You, you know, the other 51 are going to be Just left wait. out. No, wait, yeah. wait, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Paul Johnson, the great historian, my favorite modern historian who died, by the way, a couple of weeks ago, wrote this incredible book. I have probably sent it to you, Modern Times. I've taught a bunch of college courses, and I always assign that book no matter what the topic yeah. of the uh, of the course I read is. that on my own Tom literally <laughs> I think Carol and I had only been married a couple of years we were at the beach with her parents and I don't like the beach so everybody went to the beach every day and I sat on the back deck and read that book and I was mesmerized I couldn't I mean I've studied history all my life I've never seen a read a better history it's the best single volume history of the 20th century period. Anyway, his point is that the 20th century actually began in 1919 when scientists off the coast of West Africa were testing Einstein's uh, special theory of relativity, and they discovered that uh, it was true in the sense that light can bend. Um, And what Paul Johnson points out, and he uses Einstein to, to drive the point home, was... A belief began to circulate in the 1920s that um, for the first time at a popular level, there were no absolutes. There was no absolute of time and space, of good and evil, of knowledge. But as Einstein himself pointed out mistakenly, but perhaps inevitably, relativity became confused with relativism. And there's a huge difference between how the physical universe might work and what the God of our fathers might demand of us. And nobody was more distressed by this than Einstein, who famously argued that God doesn't play dice with the universe. And um, however God structures the universe physically, uh, just as there are physical laws of the universe, there are also moral laws of the universe. And that's why he was kind of so bewildered by all of this. And, and I think Johnson makes a great point. Once there is no God, and once there is no purpose, then everything is permitted. 
we're encouraged, incentivized, and um, to to uh, right fulfill our heart's desire to engage in any sexual activity that that meets our fancy and as a result of that you have moral breakdown you have social collapse there's nothing progressive about a lot of this progressive ideology gary it's regressive we've been there before we've done that that's what ancient civilizations did that's why none of them except Judeo-Christian civilization and Chinese civilization, for that matter, managed to emerge from antiquity because we were able to channel or fence in or guardrail, as the new buzzword is, guardrail our impulses and direct them towards positive things so humanity could advance, so our society could advance. That's all, that's all gone now. Well, it, it is, Tom, and the consequences are... I mean, they're they're earth shattering, um, and you know the. I I always get back to politics, although we're talking about something profoundly deep and profoundly moral, but the the left and the Democrat Party, which is the party of the left, is all in on this moral relativism. There, I mean, in, at every stage of the way, they they're. All in. There is no perversion or insanity that is possible to imagine that could appear on the scene that the National Democrat Party will not immediately embrace. The Republican Party gets their votes overwhelmingly from people that believe there is such a thing called truth and that there, that there, there are things we know about the, the the most successful way to raise children and so forth and so on. And there's almost no serious Republican entities that uh, make any serious effort to push back against the insanity of the relativist relativism left that they'll give they'll give um, lip service to it. Because they want those voters to continue to show up on uh, on election day, but but they're, they're embarrassed to uh, you know be seen as if they're they actually care about these things. Tom, the irony is um, saying that there aren't fifty two genders; there are only two, and we got to stop this nonsense that's destroying particularly uh, young girls. Uh, making that point is, is a more popular point to make than arguing that taxes shouldn't go up on billionaires. Uh, saying that our liberty, even now in America, even now in America, saying that our liberty uh, comes from God and not from government is still more popular than saying, uh, you know, what we really need to do is cut that dang Social Security program. I mean, I can go down almost everything that Republicans believe even today is the reason they exist as a party. And they um, they 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 just don't, they're not willing to spend any capital on it at all. I, I've told the story before. Let me tell it real real quick again. I, I was having lunch a number of years ago. With uh, and I'm going to say who it was with Senator Lindsey Graham. And uh, the, the same-sex marriage issue was uh, w- was hotly debated at the time. Uh, it was before the Supreme Court decision and the rest of it. 
And I uh, I encouraged him at lunch. Lunch was about something else, but I encouraged him. I said, you know, Senator Graham, you know, speak up more about that. I mean, you, you know, the people that elect you in South Carolina, they care about this issue. And he goes, well, Gary, you know, it's it's a tough one. I mean, it's it's tough to frame the arguments without without, uh, you, you know, looking like you're a bigot or, or, or whatever. And I go, really, really, Senator? And then I started running through the arguments. Well, he starts writing down. You know, slow down. He does, you know, he, he does what you do with me sometimes, only, <laughs> only it's more understandable because I'm, I am talking about something you would not necessarily. He goes, slow down, slow down. And he starts writing things down. And, and I said, I said, you, you have to, really, you have to, he want me to slow down? I mean, don't you just know this? So anyway, the lunch is over. I go back to my office. A couple of hours later, uh, my secretary buzzes in and says, it's Senator Graham on the phone. So I pick up and I say, yeah, twice in one day, Senator, how you doing? He goes, great. Um, Gary, I got back here on the Hill and I, I saw Senator so-and-so. I told him about our lunch and he goes, well, gee, I, I, I find it really hard to make an argument on that. Uh, uh, what, now, what, what did Gary say? You know, so Graham says to me, Gary, would, tomorrow would you be willing to come up to the Hill and uh, I want to I want to get a room in the Capitol. And uh, I, I think there might be a, you know two or three other Republican senators that might be you know, would want to come in so you can give them guidance. Like, yeah, that would be great. Tom, I go into this room in the Capitol. There were like 22 Republican senators. I, and I don't even remember all their names. I should go back and look at my. None of them had any idea about how to make the case that marriage is between a man and a woman. And as I talked, I saw some of them like you know, getting scraps of paper out of their, their, their suits. And you have a pen, you know, like. A, and then they're going, slow down a second, slow down a second. Now, if I would have asked any one of us, will you explain to me the concept of carried interest and why Republicans don't want to tax it? They would have been able to tell me if you woke them up at three o'clock in the morning, but they could not give a defense for an institution that has existed for 3000 years and that America has embraced from the very beginning of our country until the day before yesterday. It, it is a sad state of affairs. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Bauer and Rose show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. And the podcast, the Bauer and Rose podcast at justthenews.com. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. It is the Bauer and Rose podcast on JustTheNews.com and the Bauer and Rose show on Sirius XM, The Patriot, Channel 125, where we are thrilled to be back on Sundays. Here's a question. It's rhetorical because the answer is obvious. Why has no great moral thinker ever in all history or all civilizations ever advocated male-male marriage or female-female marriage, arguing that 
opposing same-sex marriage is immoral is to argue that every moral thinker, every moral religion, and every social movement in the history of the world from dawn until 2012 was immoral. It's the only social movement that I'm aware of ever that completely breaks with the past. It seeks to create a moral ideal that has ne- had never before been conceived, let alone advocated. I, I, there were there are figures from the Bible that oppose slavery, that uh, oppose racism, um, and it was a continuum on the road toward you know a better society. But this is a total and complete, absolute break. It's brand new. It's a decade old. Uh, and those who forget oppose it, those who question it are bigots and immoral. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Lincoln famously said in his speech, Tom, that the two great evils facing America, I think the speech was in the 1850s, uh, was uh, slavery and polygamy. Those were the two great evils he was worried about. And, you know, Tom, the idea that that you can redefine marriage so that two people of the same sex can marry each other is 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 more radical than the idea that one man should be allowed to marry two women. I mean, at least that reflects the biological nature of men and women. And it was practiced until Christianity. I mean, yeah, Uh, there was a um, a vote um, almost two weeks ago now um, in the state of Virginia in a uh, <laughs> in a Senate education committee, a state Senate education committee on a, on a law called uh, the, the SAGE bill, S-A-G-E. Uh, a, a, a girl named SAGE um, a number of years ago uh, was convinced that she was a boy trapped in a girl's body. Uh, she had been uh, adopted by her grandparents, so she was being raised by them. And at school, she told the teacher that she was a boy trapped in a girl's body, and she needed the teacher's help so that she could deal with this. And she made it very clear, please don't tell my parents, because they would be against this. So the school hid it from her parents, her grandparents who were acting as her parents. Uh, eventually, it got to the grandparents' parents' attention, and one thing led to another. The girl ran away from home. Nobody could find her. They found her four months later in Maryland, where she had been sex trafficked. When they found her and brought her back to Virginia, they put her in a child facility for boys because she thought she was a boy where she was assaulted again. So people in the Virginia legislature uh, said that this cannot be allowed in Virginia schools. So they introduced the SAGE uh, law. It passed the state house by a 52 to 48 vote. (laughs) Every Republican, to their credit, voted to pass the SAGE law. Every Democrat voted against it. It gets to the state Senate where it's in, it was in committee a couple of weeks ago, and, and the law failed in committee by a vote of nine to six. 
every Democrat voting against it, every Republican voting for it. Now, the bill had two provisions. No public school official could hide from legal guardians of a pupil, a student, the information that that student, when they got to school, was going through the process of transitioning, using different pronouns, uh, changing their name, coming to school and changing into clothes of the opposite sex while they were at school and then changing back when they went back. That was that would be illegal in Virginia to do that. Second thing was that. Um, let's see, what was the uh, second thing? Um, now I'm drawing I'm drawing a blank on it. Now, first It'll thing was to- pretty strong. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> I said the first thing is pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. Well, the second one is too. I can't believe I'm, I'm, uh, uh, it's not coming to me. But at any rate, how does that lose in the state of Virginia? I mean, this is insanity. This is total, complete insanity. Now, Tom, if the, if the Republican Party of Virginia, see, I worry that a lot of the Republicans voted for the law because they know if they didn't vote for it, They would lose their base. Well, I got news for you. If the Republicans, the next time the Virginia legislature is up, will run ads on this against every Democrat in the state legislature, a whole bunch of Democrats are going to lose their seats. Because I I believe 30, 40, maybe even 50 percent of Virginia Democrats would be in favor of that law and would be shocked, astonished. That it had failed because the Democratic Party. In fact, Tom, I'll make the bold statement that I believe that almost every black Democrat in the state of Virginia who are more church than white Republicans are in the state of Virginia would be mortified if they knew that that vote had taken place. How much of that, how much of this is moral cowardice on the part of those that we would expect more uh, uh, courage from, and how much of it is an example of this unprecedented arrogance or hubris of our age, the age that created the self-esteem movement? Um, after all, you need a hell of a lot of self-esteem to argue that um, we are morally superior to every generation that's ever come before in any culture. But I'm, I, that's what I, obviously that's what that is what the left is guilty of, but our inability to articulate a response, let alone a defense of Judeo-Christian civilization, our civilization, how much of that is, is, is just pure cowardice? I mean, they know it's wrong, but they don't have the guts because we've so chiseled away at the foundations, the scaffolding of our culture, of our civilization, that nobody has... The self-confidence, or very few people have the self-confidence required to purport a vigorous defense. Well, Tom, uh, I realize uh, there's no answer to that question. Yeah, no, there, there isn't. Uh, there, there really isn't, I guess, a clear answer to it. Although I, I think, you know, we certainly know, and I think uh, uh, a lot of other mainstream or grassroots Republicans and conservatives know that large elements of the Republican Party have Stockholm Syndrome or their equivalent of a POW that has been held for months. 
they they have been so inundated with messages that they're they're bigots uh, when it comes to race, which clearly they are not. Um, that and the left has been so successful in in taking moral objections to the LGBT movement's demands as being the equivalent of bigotry or the equivalent of anti-Semitism, uh, that they're, they're afraid. They're afraid to talk about it. They want to move on to, to the really, uh, you, you know, the things that they think are just, Tom, look, I, I don't even think that the budget cut stuff is, is the, uh, is the road to victory for the Republican Party. I think we've got to, but I think we've got to cut the budget. Even, I, even I, the New York Times last week, full front page and a, on the jump page, the entire thing about the fiscal unsustainability. But, um, yeah, the if, reason I say it though is you've got to cut something. Right. That's right. And yeah. so you people, you have people saying, okay, we need a balanced budget. Okay. Well, we need to cut these programs. How dare you right. get rid of the waste? And the fraud, you know, get we're go fa- after the exactly. We're facing a we're facing a double bankruptcy: fiscal bankruptcy, which is a problem, and moral bankruptcy, moral degeneracy, which is a far greater problem. Yep, it, it is. And then, uh, so, and then, then the third issue, as we uh, talk about a lot, is that this is all happening at a time when we are at the greatest danger that we have been in since. Uh, uh, December 6th, the day before Pearl Harbor, when we didn't realize how much danger we were in. Um, we, we are facing a relentless enemy. Uh, that, that press conference that Biden gave, you know, nearly two weeks ago now, uh, about the balloons and, and the rest <laughs> of it, that was one of the most disheartening, frightening, press conferences i've ever seen tom he he lets the you, you know he doesn't have the you you know what uh body parts to take the the chinese communist balloon down until it gets off the coast of the united states and has done its work and he only did it then because i'm sure the white house internal polling was showing that the american people were furious he hadn't done anything but then after he he finally does take it down after it's done all of its dirty work. Now he's got to, you know, he's still got to figure out how to show that he's tough. So he's shooting things down left and right that they don't know what, what they were. But we now believe they might have been, uh, I mean, these these last three objects were small. One of them was described as one of those beanbag chair size. You know, the, the Chinese communist balloon was the size of three buses. We're, we're 200, yeah. 200 feet high. And of course, the president says at the press conference, he doesn't want another Cold War with China. Uh, Joe, you don't have to want one. We got one. Yeah. Uh, uh, what is uh, he doesn't yeah, want so, another. <sighs> so he he, uh, it, you know, a group has come forward today, a group of kids in Illinois that that uh, periodically save their money up. And they send up these little balloons and they they're, they think their balloon might have been shot down over Lake Huron and they want reimbursement because it cost them one hundred and twenty dollars. There was a, there were earlier stories that this Illinois balloon hobby club, a father son hobby club, a, a twelve dollar weather balloon with a GPS, one of those store bought or Amazon bought GPS devices they sent up. It's part of this father son 
a 12 year old uh, balloon kit program and that we fired a four hundred two four hundred thousand dollar missiles to shoot it down of course what everyone seems to be missing is the first one didn't get it so we're sending half a million dollar half a million dollar missiles to hit stationary twelve dollar balloons and we can't even hit them what does that tell well, you well, yeah, I mean, I had the same in, uh, the same instinctive response was I was upset that the first missile missed, but it was shooting something that was so dang <laughs> tiny. I mean, you know, I know we have precision weapons, but, you know, the, the, the pilots were complaining they couldn't get a good look at what they were shooting at because they couldn't slow their jets down enough to see it. You know, I mean, they're going hundreds of miles an hour past something that's going about 20 feet you know, so I, yeah, I, I mean, by the way, spending $800,000 to take down something that costs between 12 and $120 launched by an American is not a really sustainable defense policy. But there was something else he said, Tom, that jumped out at me, and I can't remember now because it's been a while. If he said it in the Q&A, which was almost non-existent after his statement, or whether he said it in his remarks, but he, but I, but I think somebody yelled, you know, do you think this will, will rupture you know, U.S.-China relations? And he goes, no, it's not going to do that. She doesn't want to alienate me in the United States. That scared me even more. Here he is again, this befuddled, me- mentally failing president of the United States who thinks that his just incredible personality is something that she cannot do without. And he will abandon what has been his entire goal as premier of communist China to help communist China get their rightful place in the world. And uh, and here's Biden that thinks, I, I mean, Tom, I'm telling you, when the commies get together in, in uh, Beijing, they must be laughing their full head off, full heads off. The one thing I know they are they're not doing is is having a look on their face like she had down at Mar-a-Lago when he was having dinner with President Trump. And President Trump leaned over at some point and it was a translator there. And he says to she, hey, uh, uh, she, buddy, I just want to give you a heads up. Uh, I just gave the go-ahead to take out Soleimani, the head of the Iranian terrorist forces. We took out him and his whole uh, entourage because that's just what we do. And I didn't want you to be caught by surprise tomorrow when you read about it. So I thought I'd give you a heads up. And when you look at the video, Xi's listening to the translation, and then he sets up kind of straight. And then he just stares straight ahead. I would love to be inside the mind of Xi. But what he knew when he went back home was that when you dealt with the Trump-Pence administration, you were dealing with a strong administration that would defend the country. When you're dealing with the Biden-Kamala Harris uh, administration, uh, I, I mean, you're, you're dealing with incompetence, total incompetence, cowards, All they're good at doing, Tom, is telling us to just calm down, whether it's the poor people in that working class community of East Palestine and Ohio or what's happening at our border or when we're shooting, we're letting Chinese balloons cross across the country while we shoot down hobbyist things. You know, I mean, yeah, but there's a there's a policy we can really get excited about. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and the podcast, the Bauer and Rose Podcast, at justthenews.com. 
What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. It is the Bauer and Rose podcast on JustTheNews.com and the Bauer and Rose show on Sirius XM, The Patriot, Channel 125. I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist, and I've spent my life uh, disbelieving all of it because I know human beings, and human beings are, it's, it's hard to conduct a conspiracy, but I've been proven wrong so many times on so many issues. Um, this thought now, particularly with the large uh, balloon, the Chinese atmospheric surveillance balloon, um, that it was shot down with a Sidewinder missile purposely that it would obliterate it so there'd be nothing to recover so there wouldn't be uh the discovery of just how sophisticated this thing was you know when i hear that kind of stuff i'm uh initially suspect but it would make sense wouldn't it after a week of national embarrassment and humiliation if they actually had to recover the thing when biden says no 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 They're not spying on us. We're spying on the spy balloon. It's us who's doing the spying. And if they actually recovered the thing in working order or a semblance thereof. We would find out a lot. Yes. And I think it would be astonishing, uh, sadly, sadly astonishing, just what kind of incredible technology was likely in that balloon. You you know, um, several weeks ago, Tom, the front page of The Washington Post quoted an anonymous source uh, in the United States government uh, uh, saying that uh, the, the balloon very likely um, was not intended to come into the United States. Uh, something went wrong in the balloon, and it, it, the the wind currents took it and, and brought it over the United States. Now, first of all, uh, in, in a federal government, the old joke has been how many people work in the federal government? And the answer is about half. Uh, <laughs> I haven't uh, heard that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the anonymous source that they quoted in The Washington Post is the busiest man or woman in the federal government. That guy is out there with a quote almost every day. And it's always promoting the cause of the left and of uh, Biden and Kamala Harris. And there he was again. So this balloon accidentally crisscrossed the United States, went over, you know, dozens of sensitive military sites where it would pause to make sure it was doing a good job of collecting everything it wanted. Somehow, Tom also managed to go across the country, only crossing red states. Now, if you want a conspiracy theory, think about that one. And then exits across the red state of South Carolina, where it gets shot down. Um, yeah, we're, we, now look, I don't know the technology. Uh, I, I, I doubt if you do either, but the thought did, did strike me. Didn't, wouldn't we have something that we could have hooked? And I use that in quotes, hooked the, the balloon and brought it back over land and down 
you know, and not, I mean, I would hope so. We can send two, two aircraft up that going at incredible speeds. And the one sends a pipe out of it to hook up to the back end. I mean, it looks like an obscene act, the back end of the other one and refuel in the air, but we couldn't capture intact that balloon. That doesn't make any sense to me. The whole thing is we spent $800 billion on our defense department and we have no way of corralling a 200 foot balloon in uh, the lower stratosphere. What was it? 60,000 feet. And the notion that an F-22 can't take down an object at 60,000 feet, the most sophisticated airplane in the world ever devised. I I just, the whole thing is, and it was traveling at what, 15 miles an hour, 20, like a, like a 19th century uh, locomotive for crying out loud. The whole thing was, terribly, terribly disturbing. And this device had capabilities. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This device obviously had capabilities that that uh, low-Earth orbiting satellites don't have. Otherwise, why would they send it? I mean, spectral imaging, um, uh, the ability to intercept communication, uh, the fact that... that right it- there, Tom. That, that is incredibly important because I suspect... That now, hopefully, we have ways to stop this from happening. But who knows that that one of the things they were doing is monitoring communications from various places in the American military and the civilian leadership, and what they're saying to each other as a foreign object is coming over. The, how, how did that decision making process? How did that play out? Because it tells them how much time they would have. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I've heard all kinds of uh, surveillance experts in the intelligence community, both in print and television. I mean, this thing obviously had a synthetic aperture radar and multispectral imaging um, that is incapable. These kinds of things are, are not functional or incapable in space. It was... As you mentioned, obviously, one of its uh, tasks was to measure our response um, and how we would respond to violations of our airspace. Um, It's very, very aggressive. Uh, We ought to send a note to Kamala Harris who says that, you know, it was no big deal. It is aggressive, Kamala, to send an instrument with state-of-the-art capabilities and to do so with absolute utter impunity – um, expecting no response. And you know what? They were right because they got no response. That's precisely what they got. It doesn't say good things about us. No, no, it doesn't. Um, and, you know, we can – people may tune it out. I mean, there's so many things to worry about. But, uh, Tom, we're, we're in – I mean, this is shark-infested waters we're in. And they smell blood because we're yeah. – right. Right. I, I mean, when you add all these things together – I mean, let's say you believe in Fortress America. I can make the case for Fortress America. You know, let's stop wasting our resources and, you you know, the places I could name. Uh, but if you're going to have a Fortress America and, you, you know, then then what you're saying is, you know, unless you mess with the, the sovereign territory of the United States, then we're going to blow your butt off. Right. That I mean, that's what a fortress does when that's an right. enemy says, but we're, we're not protecting our skies. No, no, no. And do I have to say the word border? I we uh, you know uh, two weeks ago, House Republicans went to um, 
the the Yuma section of the uh, of the border in Arizona, and uh, w- which we get very little uh, news about. You know, most of the news is is about is about what's going on in Texas, but but the, the interesting thing and the scary thing about that place is that almost everyone crossing is a single man. In other words, there are no women crossing, very very few women crossing, very few children crossing. Uh, very few men crossing with with women or children. <laughs> it's a great, They're, great humanitarian refugee crisis. Women and children stay home. Right. <laughs> so there there have been um, 55,000 of these men, and he, drum roll, most of them wearing military camouflage when they enter the country. Uh, gee, I don't know. If we were being invaded, how would that be different? Than what an invasion force would look like. You know, you you started the broadcast, and we're running out of time. You started the broadcast talking about December 6, 1941, um, and that what we weren't expecting. And it was a great point. I would simply add to that point the difference between December 6, 1941 and today. On December 6, 1941, America was an isolationist country. We were not a pacifist country. Right. The minute we got hit, total, complete, absolute resolution to combat the enemy. Today, I don't think that holds. No, I, I agree, Tom. Look, and the isolationism was based on the idea that we were better than the world. Most Americans said, so why would I want to get involved in all that, right? The, the, today, Great point. we have leaders that think that the world is better than us. Great point. And, and it, to get involved in the world means that we've got to get involved in the world to prostrate ourselves and, uh, you, you know, apologize and et cetera, et cetera. How come you always wait to the very, very end to deliver the penultimate point? Well, I, 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 I what's the next point after penultimate? Let final? Me just make final? Okay. I don't know. Well, let me make one more final point um, because this is scary stuff. Um I was uh, I was reminded the other day that the most frequent commandment in the Bible is be not afraid. So for our listeners, is that right? I didn't know that. That's that's interesting. So to our listeners, God bless you uh, for tuning in for this punishment. Um, (laughs) Our purpose is not to, to make you afraid. In fact, that would be the last thing we want you to do. I would even say don't be anxious uh, because uh, and I have to always correct myself because it, it, fear and anxiousness in their own way are sins. Uh, you know, you, you, okay, don't be those things. But also, and this is important, that doesn't mean you go back to sleep or you listen to Biden telling you to calm down and Buttigieg telling you to calm down. That is the last thing you should do. Do not be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't calm down. Become an active, involved, aggressively involved citizen because your country is up for grabs. There you have it, folks. That says it all. Gary Bauer. This is the Bauer and Rose podcast. Have a great week in the Bauer and Rose show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. 
Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.